You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by MLB at Bat. Yankees baseball is always live with MLB at Bat. Follow the action with tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download MLB at Bat today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. It is, you know, not the happiest of episodes, but we'll talk you through uh, some of the things you guys are thinking about right now. We're definitely going to look into some of the happier memories from 2019 as we start what's going to be a several weeks long process of kind of talking our way through the 2019 season. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have Al Sanasiri, our editor-in-chief. Hello. Hello, Al. And, of course, we have Nathan McAborski, our executive editor. Hello, everybody. Hello. So, as I said in the start, 29 teams (laughs) kind of go through what the Yankees uh, are going through right now. That doesn't make it easier. Um, That doesn't make it feel better, necessarily. Al, you were there in Houston for that last game. And, you know, you you hate to say it, but it was just one of the most dramatic ways to lose, you can imagine. And it was a great game, but it just, you almost want to watch that game as not someone involved with the team in question because it was such an enjoyable game, except for that last second. I agree with you. I mean, it was was a game where obviously we were down for pretty much the whole time. DJ LeMahieu had what I called probably the best at bat I've seen in 17 years with the team. A tremendous at bat, fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch, comes through, hits the home run, ties the game. And at that point, you know, you've essentially beaten their closer. And now your closer is coming into the game and you have this tremendous sense of optimism and, you know, everything that happened to that point in the season, you know, is out the window. You're in a position to win that game, move the series to game seven, and you really have this sense of like anything can happen. And it was dramatic to that point. It was incredible to see you know, a crowd that was so loud where you couldn't really hear yourself think for pretty much the whole night up until that point becomes silent. So everything was working. And then, of course, you know, the the drama in the next inning that I don't even think that crowd saw coming. It wasn't like they were in the type of mode they were in prior to that ninth inning. They were kind of still subdued. And then the next thing, you know, Jose Altuve hits this, you know, absolute rocket off the, you know, the outfield, uh, you know, the wall above the wall, I guess you could say. And you know what's disappointing about it or what was hard is one minute you, you're you watching this team kind of fighting and clawing back and the next minute it's over. And the finality of it was very, very sudden and very abrupt. We've said in a lot of these episodes, especially during the postseason, the benefits that the Yankees found from essentially being able to rest all of their arms so much in September, especially as you got to the point when it became pretty clear that Houston was pulling away and they ended up, what, by four games winning home field advantage. And 
especially when you consider how much use the bullpen needed to get in the playoffs as it was. Obviously, that rest was important to get them to game six. But look, I mean, at the same time, you see what happens when you get home field advantage. You see, you know, LeMay hits this amazing home run, and but the Astros still get another shot. And you, you saw what they did with it. What's interesting to me is that, you know, all year long, we talked about getting that home field advantage because we had, you know, the 2017 ALCS still kind of fresh on our minds. And that was a series in which, you know, the home team won every game. And then this year, you know, there was we played three games in Houston and, you know, the Yankees really had a shot at winning. You know, they they won the first game there and they were had a great shot to win the other two. I mean, they, those games were tied late. And, uh, you know, I think at the end, sure, it was it was a disappointing end to the season. But, you know, I, I kind of tip my cap to the Houston Astros. They were a great team, had a great season, but really kind of felt like, man, we, we could have stolen that series like we were just so close in those games down there um that was where my kind of disappointment stemmed from i agree with that i i think about in particular game two out there i I think about just the tremendous optimism you feel after winning game one out there and you kind of feel like yeah this whole goal all all year of getting home field advantage well you didn't get it but after you win game one you kind of got it back already you know in one night you basically got back what they had worked for all year you kind of feel like you stole something right there um but then in game two you go out and you know i thought hey the biggest thing that they have to do in this series is you know this is no secret. The most significant task is to beat Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole in one game. And well, they have Gar- um, excuse me, they have Justin Verlander on the ropes. They're winning the game, um, and then it's you know, and then Houston ties it up. But still, they they had him out of the game in a situation where they really wanted to be in. And like you said, it 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 was unfortunate, in my opinion, more that that game got away than any other because I think that was. Looking back, in hindsight, that was the series right there. I also think, though, being able to win a game out there and being able to compete, you know, right down to the last inning in two other games out there, um, it really goes a long way towards what this team will be able to do in the future. I I think those are moments that are really, really important. And I think um, maybe they're able to do what they did this year because, you know, of what they what they experienced in 2017, and hopefully next year they take it one step further. I have such a complicated feeling about what you're saying, Al, because undoubtedly it's true. This team is very good. This team's window is definitely still open. I mean, you know, free agency is going to be interesting this year. There's definitely choices that Cashman and his crew need to make, but, you know, they, they, they return just an incredibly good team. But... I'm kind of of two minds that don't necessarily work together when I think about where we are, where where the Yankees are right now. And that is just on the one hand, and I said this on Friday night when they won and, you know, had to go to Houston for the quick turnaround. I think going back to Houston for game six changes the season in a lot of ways. I think it's impossible at that point to view the season as a disappointment you know, you can be upset. You can be maybe disappointment is the wrong word as a failure. I'll say Aaron judge called the season a failure. Aaron judge is supposed to call the season a failure. I don't begrudge him calling the season a failure, but this season isn't a failure. Baseball is too hard and too long 
to only go by what happens in the playoffs. You know, the fact of the matter is everything went wrong for this team this year. Everything. And it's remarkable that they won 103 games. And you can't just get rid of that fact because, you know, of a hanging slider to Jose Altuve. I mean, so on the one hand, yeah, you know, there's a lot of reason for optimism um, because of how close they got to the World Series again, you know, for the second time in three years. Sure, there's reason to be optimistic there, but it's so hard to get back and it's so hard to do this again that I don't think you can just look at like, 2020 to understand 2019. I think you actually need to appreciate 2019. I think you can't, you know, look look for, you know, silver linings and rainbows and everything like that. I think there's enough to look at in 2019 to say this was an exceptionally good year and sometimes it just doesn't happen in the playoffs. Yeah, and that uh leads into the story we were going to talk about today. Uh <laughs> Yeah, great segue. Yeah, yeah, you know, for our October issue which uh doubled as the ALDS program. I had never done this before when, uh, you know, coming up with the edit lineup for our October issue, I said, I I really think, you know, I want to write a story about this season, this 2019 team, because I just thought it was so compelling uh, that it was worth writing about now rather than waiting until after the season or for next year's yearbook or something like that. And, you know, originally I kind of pitched it as like, well, there's all these really kind of fascinating little numbers and stats and nuggets that I think could, you know, you put them all together and kind of help tell the story of the 2019 Yankees. But of course, then when I sit down to actually write, um, I always try and write the type of stories that I like to read. And I'm just not a person who likes to read stories that are very heavy on numbers and data and stuff like that. I know some people are into that and that's fine. But, you know, it ended up becoming more of a, you know, narrative with anecdotes and some stats sprinkled in. But the goal was to just kind of explain a season that, like you said, John, is kind of, you know, inexplicable in a lot of ways. Like this team, when you add everything up, like should not have been able to win 103 games and and win the division running away. And, you know, I think there were... Uh, a couple things in the ALCS that uh, really, I think, encapsulated uh, part of that. And one was, you know, DJ LeMahieu basically from the first inning of the season to the last was unbelievable. A couple uh, uncharacteristic defensive miscues in the ALCS, but throughout the season, he was so solid in the field and at the plate. I mean, just he's incredible to watch. You know, the other thing that I was uh, really happy to see in this series was, um, you know, James Paxton's start in game five. John, you had asked me earlier that day, you know, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here? I said, well, it's tall order to win three games in a row against Houston when two of them are going to be back in their ballpark. We're going to have to face Garrett Cole again. But I'd really love to see James Paxton go out there tonight and just end this first season with the Yankees on a high note kind of prove to himself that he's he's built for this stage. And I thought what he gave us that night uh, was just incredible. I mean, you know, what do you do? Six innings, a one-run ball? Like, I think his 112 pitches or whatever was the most by a starter all season, by a Yankee starter. And, uh, 
it was a, a memorable performance. You know, I actually I, I spent some time watching from the stands. I kind of wanted to just be part of the crowd uh, for a while that night. You know, seeing Boone come out to the mound to talk to him before that last batter and him convince Boone to let him in. And then that next pitch gets driven deep to left field. And like we all kind of, you know, you, you get that feeling of you're all together in your section, you know, complete strangers, but like you're all like looking at each other, like, whoo, that was close. Like it was just, it was one of those moments that like I, I won't forget from this 2019 season. And uh, there was a lot of them. It's one of those challenging things where, on the one hand, it's completely the story of the season. On the other hand, you have to tell it well. And he did both. You know, what I love about it so much is that we talked certainly last year, um, maybe some people critically, maybe some people more critically than us, but, you know, we talked about it and we saw it a little bit differently this year. The playoffs are obviously a different animal from the regular season and you approach everything differently. And meanwhile, you know, you open your story in the, you know, what was the ALDS program to the story. You open the magazine to page 74 when pedigree meets opportunity and you're struck by a picture of Mike Talkman, Cameron Maben, and Austin Romine. And on the one hand, you have to say, my God, like, what a huge piece of the story you're telling about the 2019 Yankees with those three guys. And on the other hand, you know, Cameron Maben played in five games in the postseason, but you're talking about defensive replacements, maybe one bat in each. Obviously, Talkman didn't make the roster in either case, and Romine didn't see the field other than to catch some ceremonial first pitches it's two different seasons and that's part of what i was saying before that you just can't only see through what happens you know in in the tournament because those three guys that that's an amazing story right there forget about everything else that you have you know mike talkman cameron mabe and austin romine were just so integral to every piece of success the yankees had from late march through late september and it's just a wonderful look at you know how hard and long the baseball season is and how different the postseason is. I agree with you, John. I think that what you said before is accurate. You know, Aaron Judge should should say the things that he said. I don't begrudge him. I don't even disagree with him. But from everybody else's perspective, it was a great season. It was a season where there was, you know, a team overcame so much adversity, more so from an injury standpoint that I've ever than I've ever seen. Um, they overcame huge mountains every single month. Um, They built a a nucleus of young players uh, or watched a nucleus of young players basically grow literally every single day. The depth on the team, the depth throughout the organization was shown. It was built. It grew. And it's not only a building block for the future, but it's a memorable season. You know, you can't look at the only memorable seasons as one where the Yankees won the World Series. I mean, I, I think about two of the most memorable seasons since I've been here is, you know, 2013 and 2014 because of the farewells of, of Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter. We didn't win the World Series those years. We didn't even get to the postseason. There's, they're great seasons. This one's for different reasons as well. They, they accomplished a tremendous amount. I guess any other sport, almost any other city, you know, great seasons are recognized. Um, but you know, this is a unique, a unique place. It's, it's a, it's a different place. It's a different environment. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people that don't recognize it as, as being good if the ultimate goal isn't, isn't achieved, but I'm certainly not one of them. And, and I think the players that, 
you highlighted there, talked about a minute ago, and I think just the whole narrative, you know, Nathan, of your story really illustrates, um, you know, a tremendous success story. Nate, as we were saying, you know, the next man up, it, this wasn't an original angle that we settled on here. I mean, even the Yankees Twitter hashtag for the postseason was, you know, hashtag next man up. But I, I thought you approached this, you know, in an interesting way, though. I thought it was very statistical, while also, as Al just said, very narrative heavy. You, you kind of meshed those two things really well. What was your focus kind of coming into this on how to tell, how to in the moment wrap up the season that everyone was kind of wrapping up at that time, but to do it the way you did? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we could have chosen uh, a, a lot of different trios to open up the, the spread with. Um, we just happen to have that really good picture from photo day of those three guys. But, um, you know, and it, and it was kind of tricky in that, you know, this story had to be written kind of in mid-September before the regular season had come to a close. So you're sort of uh, projecting a little bit and uh, that sort of thing. But Really, I wanted it to be something that you could, you know, look back on whether you pick up this magazine now after the season has just ended or over the winter or maybe even years from now that kind of, you know, just encapsulates what this team was all about. You know, whenever somebody would go down during the season, you would always, you know, hear from their teammates or the manager talking about, well, you know, we have to focus on who we do have in that room. And so that was kind of the in the back of my mind when I wrote this story, like I didn't want to harp on all the production that was lost when Miguel Andujar went down or John Carlos Stanton went down. It was more about trying to explain why the Yankees were still able to find success when guys like that did go down. And, you know, I touched on everything from uh, the leadership of guys like CeCe Sabathia and Brett Gardner to the defensive play of uh, the outfield, which was, you know, the Yankees outfield was statistically perhaps the best outfield defense in all of baseball this year. The hidden gems that that were kind of unearthed, the Gio Urshela's and the Mike Ford's. So, you know, like I said, I think it's the type of story that you can go back to, like, you know, years from now and you'll remember, oh, yeah, that was that team that just kept fighting through everything. And, you know, I, I think it's important to at least in this moment, you know, keep it a little bit also on the ALCS. It, it, it was so strange seeing the way the playoffs played out because on the one hand, you had a team that I would say, let's call, you know, 80% healthy, but, you know, in the way that 2019 went, 80% healthy seems like, you know, 4,312% healthy. Um, you know, you, you had a fairly consistent lineup, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have the Giancarlo Stanton issue and is he healthy or is he not healthy? And it's like, well, that kind of... You know, this is <laughs> this seems familiar in a sense. And on, on the one hand, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna remain the person who, you know, is pretty intent on remembering the positives of 2019. But whether you want to say it's fitting or whatever, it's certainly horrible. Just thank God for that DJ LeMahieu home run because if not for that, my lasting memory of the 2019 ALCS is CC Sabathia walking off the field with Stevie Donahue, yeah. and. You know, again, you know, there's there, there's two narratives there. There's the narrative that, man, this guy threw until his arm literally didn't work anymore. And that's sweet and nice. And, you know, I, I think CeCe kind of made it seem like he liked that perspective. On the other hand, it was just like, man, again, like I just can't keep watching the same story. And 
I don't know. I, there's no cheering in the press box, even in the Augs box. And there's, you know, you're not supposed to get too down. I, I, I don't think I've ever felt more down at a baseball stadium than watching him walk off the field right there. And, you know, it was nice hearing the, the fans give it to him and recognizing that that was going to be it for him. But it was just, that was just so crushing. And you know so what hard. though, like leave it to CC. And I, this is something I've like, always thought about him since he's come to New York. Like he always, uh, you know, I love going to him for his perspective on things because he often will talk about things in a way that like I hadn't previously expected. Um, whether it's, you know, like I, I always admired the way he talked about Cleveland. Like, you know, like I always, you know, he, he would always just be very respectful of, you know, the fact that they were the team that drafted him and he always like talked nicely about them. And I thought that was really cool when he got hurt, you know, he had the met with the media the next day and he's like, yeah, you know, I was talking to Amber after the game and I, you know, thought like, in some ways it's kind of better because I had been feeling so good coming out of the bullpen over the previous week or two. Like I, it started to creep into the back of his head that, you know, I might be able to do this a little bit longer, but like, <laughs> no, no. But you know what the funny thing is right after he said that Aaron Boone came in and he said that the silver lining he saw was that, you know, they're used to having CC on the bench. And meanwhile, all postseason long, you know, they're sending him to the bullpen where, you know, they don't get to benefit from him. And, Literally in game five, when you know Paxton shoved the way he did, one thing that stands out to me from that game is right when he came out. So at the end of the sixth inning, so after you know he pushes Boone away and then gets the last crazy out, <laughs> um, you know, he goes back to the dugout. Right at that moment, the stadium does a tribute to CeCe, um, thanking him for you know his career and everything like that. And they showed him, and where is CeCe sitting? He's sitting right next to Paxton. Mm. And you know, I don't know. I'm sure that Paxton said, you know, it's not like they were talking or chatting the whole game or anything like that. But like, you just knew that, you know, hurt, healthy or whatever, like he was going to play the exact same role he did four out of five days, whatever it is in the postseason. But like nothing was going to change about the way he was as a teammate. He was not going to, you know, cry to himself or do anything like that or mope in the clubhouse. He was going to be out there with his guys and literally the next day you saw that very yeah. clearly that he was sitting right there next to Pax and as he came out, his arm around him. And I loved it because they showed, you know, as they're having this big ovation, you know, that they, they show the dugout and it's Paxton who just came out of this game, whose probably heart is racing in ways you can't imagine. And they show Paxton just put his arm around CC and it's just, you know, you could see how much the guy meant. No, it, was, it was a great moment, I think. And I, I think, you know, there's so many, intangibles that he brought to the team this year you know you can't quantify them in wins or innings or anything like that and you've obviously talked and written so much about this John but you know that's a that's perfect that's proof right there I mean I I don't know you know I'm sure James Paxton was gonna have a great game you know regardless of where CC Sabathia was situated in the stadium but there's some tremendous benefit to it again it's not tangible we can't really add it up or quantify it but it was there and I know no player ever wants to come off the, the field, you know, uh, injured for the last time. I think, you know, I thought back on Mariano Rivera, you know, in 2012 when he had the, the uh, injury out in the outfield. And that probably is what precipitated the whole final, you know, tour and uh, 
2013. But this kind of shows you how unique situations like that are. You know, if you look at all the great athletes who've ever played any sport, there's really just a hand few, uh, handful of them who've gone out on their own terms exactly the way they wanted. This isn't exactly the way he wanted, but there's a lot of graciousness uh, as part of this, and there's a lot of toughness as part of this, and there's a heck of a lot worse ways to go out. I'll say that much. So I've got a question for you guys. It's pretty well known that... CC has occupied a very special place in the Yankees clubhouse, like physically, not just metaphorically. He's got that prime real estate there. It was previously used by Derek Jeter ever since the new stadium opened up. Next year, who do you think goes in that spot? I mean, Simon, a question to me that they'll offer to Judge. I could see Judge saying no mm-hmm. in some sort of like false modesty or something like that, <laughs> but it's got to be Judge. I'm, I'm under the impression that Gardner's going to be back. I, I I think that he'll be back. I mentioned that this team brings back, you know, incredible amounts of firepower. This team's best players right now are not New York veterans in the way that CC and Gardner have been for a long time. So on the one hand, I don't think that there are too many more mature players than Aaron Judge and Gleyber Torres, you know, who who defy their age and their, you know, tenure and things like that. And, that, and that's going to be a benefit to this team. But there's going to be things that are lost without CC in that clubhouse, which is part of why I think it's so important to bring back Gardner. Because, you know, I said, Judge, there's no other candidate even. If you wanted to look at, like, to treat that locker still as, like, a, you know, really established piece of real estate that's important and that who else are you going to do? I mean, the only other option, that literally the only other option I can think about is Dellen, but who knows if he's back? Right. I mean, so, so it's just, it's going to be, there's going to be, have to be a lot of work done, whether it's, you know, at the captain's camps or things like that. And certainly at spring training of establishing, you know, a real leadership dynamic on this team right now. And I think they'll be able to do it. And I think that Boone's done a great job of empowering, you know, the young players in the team. And I think Judge, you know, whether it's just like working the music or, you know, always being the guy who goes and speaks to the media after all these things, you know, and, and talks like the captain of a team in a sense, you, you can't just let it happen. There's going to need to be active work done to establish clubhouse leadership. I agree. I think, you know, I can't really dispute any of what you said. Aaron Judge is the guy. He's um, as much of a, of a captain as they have right now. And when I say right now, I mean after the 2019 season has, has obviously uh, wrapped up, you know, he's going to be the leader. I, I don't see that changing. So I would, I would say him. And the only other person that I thought about, and I think he would be a close second or a second or something like that to, to Aaron judge though, is Glaber Torres. And the only reason I say that is because he's essentially, you know, I know he was traded here as a minor leaguer, but he's been here his entire two-year major league career. And in that time, he's shown some tremendous leadership qualities. He's also shown tremendous maturity for his age. And he's also risen pretty quickly from uh, an exciting uh, prospect to one of the great players in the game. And it's literally happened in the span of uh, you know, 12 months basically. And, and he was there. And then what he did this year, of course, was, was even more impressive. So, you know, I would of course, uh, agree with you that it would be judge, but you know, Glaber has 
really, I think, especially this year, established himself as a pretty special player and a, and a pretty special part of this team. So stick around with us. We're not going anywhere. We're going to have plenty more to say about the 2019 season in the next few weeks. We're going to move back to our twice-monthly schedule instead of our weekly schedule uh, now that the Yankees are eliminated. But obviously, you know, the book is, though, closed on the 2019 Yankees, but I don't know whether that elevates or what the 2009 Yankees, but Al, in the October issue, you have a conversation with one of those 2009 champs, Johnny Damon, so stick with us and we will discuss that story after this break. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. The Yankees Magazine Podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back. So... The 2009 Yankees, seems like a nice time to talk about that now that, uh, you know, we're done with 2019. In our October issue, which subscribers have, and, you know, you can still find if you take a tour of Yankee Stadium or you can go to a Hudson News, we do have a couple of pieces on the 2009 champions. We have a Q&A with Brett Gardner and CeCe Spathia, which we've already actually spoken about, but definitely one of... The highlights of this book, in my opinion, is a really great conversation with Johnny Damon. You know, Al, Johnny Damon, I, th- I think that it's still a little bit hard for me to uh, believe that someone who is that involved in the 2004, you know, situation here at the stadium, and, and really is in Game 7, who, you know, had that game that he had, um, could become such a beloved Yankee. Uh, but even before the 2009 World Series, he had certainly done that, and then... Yeah, I think that every one of us, if we close our eyes, can just remember that stolen base, stealing second, and then moving right on to third, how important it was. Al, you spent some time with him. You know, what What was that conversation like for you? It was insightful. You know, he's he's somebody that uh, he's got tremendous baseball acumen and um, is really enjoyable to talk to and, and really his perspective on the game and his perspective on the things that he accomplished and the things that he saw during his time, both with the Red Sox and the Yankees, you know, really lends itself to a, a unique perspective. And and in my opinion, like you said, a, a, you know, some interesting answers. Um, you know, he owns a, a unique spot in baseball history. He's really, you know, a, an icon in Boston for what he did in their first, you know, championship season in many, many, many decades. And then comes to the Yankees and there, you know, there's a, a little bit, you know, of history of guys coming from, you know, the Red Sox to the Yankees, starting with Babe Ruth and, you know, on a, on a different level, Wade Boggs and, and Johnny Damon now. But he came here and, you know, on the, the last championship that we've won, had a really good season and got into the postseason and we got into the World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. And, I, you know, there's not a lot of games that are more memorable in the time that I've been with the Yankees than uh, game four of that series. You know, I just looked at that game as really the the game where, you know, we were going to, you know, put ourselves in an almost sure position to win the World Series um, or 
kind of fall back to we very well could lose this World Series. Um, you know, the Yankees are up two to one. That's the you know the swing game in in any series. You know, we win this game on the road and we're up three to one with you know three games left to play, and it of course ends up being you know this drama filled game where, you know, the Yankees are winning the game and then Jabba Chamberlain gives up a big home run and suddenly, the, you know, the outcome is very, very much in doubt in the ninth inning and the Phillies bring in their closer who does what closers do. He, you know, at least at the start of the inning, he retires the first two batters in like two seconds and, um, and Johnny Damon comes up and, you know, is it as significant as what he did, you know, with the Red Sox and, you know, the annals of baseball history? Probably not. But in the annals of Yankees history, what he did next is is pretty special. And he has great perspective on it. You know, I, um, I was interviewing him at golf tournament for, you know, Joe Namath and his foundation, who, of course, is a guy who, you know, authored one of the most famous moments in New York sports history. And it was kind of ironic because Johnny kept playing off of that and talking about, hey, you know, I have my moment here. That's why I'm invited to events like this. That's why I like to spend time in New York, because, you know, what I did that night and what I did that season never goes away you know you literally live forever in you know in history i think there's particular residents you know every time you get to an october and you know if the yankee season ends of just looking at champions this isn't an, an original thought yeah i apologize if it's cliche as wonderful as the 96 98 99 2000 and i'll include 2001 teams were you know you certainly get the sense as you roll through that that it's a little bit too easy 2009 was not easy. They were playing the defending champs in the World Series. It was a six-game series that was extremely tight and difficult all, all throughout. And you see over the next 10 years just how hard it is to get back to that point. And it makes it easier, if you will, to understand the sense of, you know, never having to buy a drink in that city again. Because it's not just about spending the right amount of money and, you know putting together the right kind of team. You know, the 2019 Yankees are the right kind of team to win a World Series, but it didn't happen. Sometimes it does, though, and, you know, you understand the special, indelible, unforgettable moments, you know, that, that have to happen for that to work. I think that moment is total evidence of what you just said. You know, it it, it didn't come down to, you know, who had the highest payroll. It didn't, you know, really all that mattered is they were in an absolute dogfight at the end of that game. And that game was, you know, for all intent and purposes, you know, the World Series right there. And, you know, like I said, Brad Lidge gets the first two guys out. And what does it come down to? It comes down to just mental toughness. It comes down to a player being on the road and somehow finding a way to get on base. And then he gets on base and uses every bit of baseball intelligence, every bit of his speed, every bit of his instinct at the right moment. And he's not affected by the moment at all. In fact, he's using the moment in that situation to, um, you know, be greater or, or better than the other people, you know, on the field. And, and of course, what happens is, he, you know, he feels second base and, um, because they have the shift on for Mark Teixeira, there's really no one on the on the left side of the infield. So as fast as his, you know, butt hits the ground and sliding into second base, it pops back up and he takes off and, and you know, gets to third and takes a huge, huge chance. But I, what I love so much about it is he, he talks about, you know, this observation he made um, on first base that if they threw and it was behind him, he was going to go. 
And a couple pages later in the magazine, you have Brett Gardner and Cece Sabathia talking about that same moment. And I think it's Gardner who makes the point that absolutely was part of their scouting report before the game from uh, Rob Thompson that if there's a shift, try to take third. So I'm not knocking Damon in any way. It's just always one of my favorite things about, you know, this game of telephone that we do with these guys of talking to them 10 years later, you have Johnny Damon being like, man, I saw something I was going to capitalize on it. And you have Gardner saying like, yeah, we, we, we all thought he should go. That was just part of what the scouting report was. I love it. You know, that that's, that's a funny you know, piece of information, like you said, that you, you kind of realized 10 years later, and maybe we realized it at the time and heard it at the time, but you know, over the, the decade, I don't remember hearing it at the time. So no, I, I don't either. I, I'm, um, I know sometimes you, you hear things, you forget them. And then we, we write a story about it many years later and, you know, either it's new information or, or recycled information, but there was another nugget that, that I got out of this story that again, kind of falls in the category of maybe I, I knew it. Maybe I should have remembered this, but when I heard it 10 years later, I was absolutely fascinated by it. And, and what it was, was even though there were two outs, you know, the, the importance in that specific situation of him getting to third base was Alex Rodriguez was, was coming up after Mark Teixeira and Brad Lidge, there were some pitches that he did not want to throw with Absolutely. a runner at third base, including his slider, which was so potent, you know, that whole season and, and that whole postseason based on the the risk of it getting past the catcher. If Johnny Damon is on second base and just stole second and stayed there, you know, Lidge can probably do a lot more to Alex Rodriguez. And instead, Alex Rodriguez gets a fastball. And he hits a double and he drives in Johnny Damon, which is the go-ahead run. And of course, you know, Alex Rodriguez talks about how in his mind, when he was standing on second base for the first time in his life, he felt like I'm I'm a World Series champion or I'm going to be a World Series champion. Well, you know, there was a lot more that went to uh, went into that, which is Damon limiting what Lidge could actually throw. And again, maybe that was talked about that night in the clubhouse. But for me, 10 years is too long, too long ago to remember those details. It was fun kind of getting that, that perspective a decade later. Yeah, I think uh, A-Rod still kind of looks back at that as like his favorite hit of his career. I mean, it, that was a big one. Clearly, you know, one of Damon's favorite memories of a long career filled with moments like, you know, huge moments. Um, and, uh, you know, I love the pictures that we have alongside where he's talking about that, you know, kind of like frame by frame of him pulling off that we, we didn't know what to call it. Cause it's not a double steal. It's not it's like no. <laughs> back to back steals on one play. I, I don't know what the, <laughs> what the right terminology is there for it. But one of the other things I really enjoyed about that, I mean, clearly, you know, when you spoke to him, I guess it was in September, uh, he was pretty happy to be <laughs> reliving this memory. But I, I also thought it was really funny hearing him talk about going from the Red Sox to the Yankees and how, he kind of felt about uh, that move. I mean, maybe for the people who haven't read the story, uh, could you maybe uh, delve a little into w- what his feelings were about leaving Boston? Yeah, they weren't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that was interesting because in any of these Q&As that I do with a player about a specific season, I like to ask a couple questions off the bat, you know, before we really get into the season that we're talking about, I've kind of have 
you know, providing some background, how did we get to that season? You know, how did he go from the Red Sox to the Yankees? And you just give the reader some perspective and, and, and even give myself some perspective. And it's funny because I did a similar piece in 2016 with Wade Boggs about the 1996 season and, and probably started off the interview very similarly in the sense of, you know, talk about, you know, how, why did you leave the Red Sox and why did you go to the Yankees? Now I'm doing the same thing with Johnny Damon. Their answers weren't the same, but they had the same tone and they had the, th- the same theme. And what it was was just a lot of anger and a lot of resentment towards the Red Sox for essentially, you know, promising a lot. We're going to bring you back. You're going to finish your career here, buy a house, you know, do all that stuff. I mean, in Damon's case, he specifically said, you know, that they told him to buy a house and plant some roots here. This is, this is where you're going to be for a long time. And we're going to win a lot of championships together. And, you know, and, you know, and then for whatever reasons, things changed and they changed not only kind of in a dramatic way, but in a through some radio silence, I guess you could say, where he wasn't, you know, really getting called back and kind of told almost through a lack of communication, like we're not going to be reaching out to you. and We're not going to be signing you. And I think they got kind of scared as the free agent process went on, that he was actually going to go to the Yankees. I don't think they wanted that. And he was reaching out to the Yankees with open arms and Brian Cashman was reaching out to him with open arms. But um, I, you know, sometimes you ask a question and you think it's going to be a quick answer and you're going to be on to really the main subject of the interview. This ended up being... You know, uh, very interesting and, um, you know, maybe the biggest bombshell, I guess you could say, in the in the whole piece of of just how things unfolded with Boston. It was it was fascinating. Yeah, he said that during his introductory press conference with the Yankees, he wished he was a little more uh, <laughs> forthcoming in his feelings about Boston. He kind of kind of tampered it down a little bit. But, yeah, he was he was none too happy about the way things shook out there. No, and I think he was smart, you know, for not going that route in mm-hmm. the introductory press conference, especially since Boston had, you know, won a world championship after um, uh, he left, but before, you know, the Yankees did in 2009. So, you know, when he said that, you're kind of sitting there thinking, no, you did the right thing. (laughs) Always better to, you know, to kind of keep your mouth shut in those situations. Well, it's a very cool story. You know, it's a happier memory. It's a good time to read about happy memories right now. I can't keep saying this enough. The 2019 season... That was a rough end. That was a sudden, shocking, difficult end, but really a special season. I know I could speak very personally here. I feel very grateful for not only have having been able to cover the season, but for the access we got and for really being able to tell what I thought were some special stories this year. Al, Nate, and I know I speak about Gary and Jake and Hillary when she was here. I would stack Yankees Magazine's coverage of the 2019 team up with absolutely anybody's. You know, maybe we don't have the credibility in some ways of some of these other sources because we are the team and we're a house organ, and that's true, and we, we have to fight about that. But like I said, I don't think that anybody is putting out more unique or special or insightful analysis of this team than we are, and I'm extremely proud of the job we did all year, the job we're going to continue to do. And I would certainly add our uh, our photographers to that oh, mix sure. too. I mean, the uh, subscribers know very well that uh, <laughs> they can expect to see you know the absolute best photos of the New York Yankees in Yankees Magazine every month. Photos that you're not going to see anywhere else um, that really kind of provide a, an insider's look at what goes on uh, with this team. 
you guys are are spot on. I've um, you know long prided myself on being part of you know really the best, certainly the best team publication in sports uh, with the most unique coverage, the best written stories. But I will tell you, a lot of that has to do with you know the talent that both of you have, as well as uh, the other members of our our team here, our publications team. But also the hard work that you guys put in through the, you know, the travel, the long nights, and it, it shows on the, on the pages of Yankees magazine. We, we could put a team publication together that would not be nearly as good with much less effort, but you guys go the extra mile, not just for some issues, but for every issue. And uh, I'm very appreciative to you guys for that. Well, thank you, Al. I would say, you know, my point of bringing this up was not to have us all, you know, talk about, you know, how great a job we do, although I think we do, but really to say thank you for reading. Thank you for following along with us. I firmly believe that what we do is important and necessary and good, and it would mean nothing if we didn't have people reading it, if we didn't have people engaging with us, if we didn't have people certainly buying the magazine. So thank you. This, it it now starts kind of a weird time of the year. The podcast, if history's any judge, is going to get a little looser, a little funnier. You know, we'll start talking a little bit more about the things that we're thinking about the future, the things that we're thinking about the past. But, you know, if last year's any indication, we're going to have no information about any <laughs> hot stove moves until like mid, mid-spring training. So you're just going to have to bear with us. But please, please, please do stick around. Yankees.com slash podcast. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Just because the season's over is no reason to stop hanging out with us. Go to at Yanks Magazine on Twitter, yankees.com slash magazine to read our stories, yankees.com slash publications to subscribe. Um, pay attention to all those things because I'm sure that we're going to start pretty soon doing some sort of pushes for, you know, whether it's a ticket off or anything else like we've done in the past, there's going to be opportunities to benefit from subscribing. So from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of everyone, you know, in this room's heart, I know I say thank you very much for coming on this ride in 2019 with us wish we could have gotten you a better ending but there's always 2020 and we will speak to you in two weeks thanks so much hi this is jay hap for more stories like these subscribe to yankees magazine by visiting yankees.com publications or by calling 800 go yanks the mlb ballpark app will complete your next visit to yankee stadium Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app.